Hi, Rob. <laughs> hey, Kira. We were just saying that we should have written an intro for this, uh, this episode since we write those after we record now, our, our process has all changed and we're just recording now this interview to go live next week, actually. So I don't know if we're going to have time to do an intro or not. We don't. Yeah. We're anti-shoulds, right? All the things you should do. Let's just not do it. We don't. No more shoulds for us. So there's no intro. It's just us, the two of us today. Uh, this is episode 240, right? Yeah. Episode 240. And every 10th episode or so, we like to just jump on and just chat about different stuff, yeah. go guest free. And, uh, and this is all, this is all us. So if if you don't like that, you can skip to the next episode or listen to last week's episode or stay tuned and you get a full dose of Kira and Rob. Yes, this is just us, wild and free. So we are going to ask each other questions and just kind of interview each other because even though we talk frequently, we don't always you know, ask each other questions about business ideas, what else we're doing. So I think Rob and I just need more quality time together. We have a lot of we have a lot of time together. Maybe we need more quality time together. There you go. Yeah. Finding out more. I mean, we've only been doing this for four years, right? So trying to understand who the other person is. What they who think. are you? <laughs> who is this person? Uh, so let's kick it off with the first question. Rob, what are some mistakes that you've made in your copywriting business? I guess this could really be any mistake. It's all fair game. But I was just thinking... I think frequently about mistakes I've made with projects, with clients previously. I don't know why. They just kind of pop in to my mind at different times. And I'm always every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, we should talk about that. We should share, we should share the stuff that doesn't go as well or what we look back on and, and wish we could change because so often we talk about all, everything that is going well or all the things that we've done well. But let's focus on some of those mistakes. Yeah, let's talk about all the things we do wrong. And we're mostly talking about our own personal businesses here, you know, the, the things that uh, we do working one-on-one -on -one with clients. Uh, and I, you know, as I was thinking about this earlier, there are a couple of things that come up, I think, for a lot of the copywriters that we talk to, you know, in the think tank when we're coaching or even in, you know, the accelerator, the underground, these kinds of things. I've made the exact same mistakes that they do. So, uh, and I think I've mentioned this one in particular several times, but the number one mistake that I made, uh, especially when I went out and, and started freelancing, was trying to do it all on my own, going alone, not having a network of support. That doesn't mean that you know my family wasn't behind me or that I didn't know other people in business, but I hadn't really lined up a community that I could bounce questions off of, you know, ask questions about, say, invoices or proposals or pitching or any of that kind of stuff. And I think that slowed my progress as I launched my own business as a freelancer. And I, I can remember, you know, what, back in my agency days, which was a long time ago, and we were working with freelancers and freelancers would come into the office and I think, man, how are they, how are they making this work? How are they, you know, getting this stuff done? How are they pitching their clients? And, and just having had, you know, even five or six people that I could bounce those kinds of questions off of, I think would have made it uh, a lot easier. So that's number one. Number two, uh, I think when I launched my own business, I didn't realize how powerful it is to be able to identify a problem or a pain that my client is having 
to go right at that. And so, you know, my first few pitches to clients, you know, I went out and, you know, I, I basically get an appointment to go sit down with them using my network, you know, whatever to get uh, into the conference room with them. And then I just say, hey, you know, what are your copywriting needs? And I'd let them figure out how I could help them instead of the other way around. And I think it's much more powerful when you can come in and say, you know, hey, you need help with this kind of content. I can put together a strategy. I can deliver this for you, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or I noticed on your homepage, you don't, you're not collecting emails. I can put together, you know, this kind of a lead funnel for you or, you know, whatever the problems are. I think I could have done a lot better on that. And then number three, biggest mistakes that I've made, and I still make this mistake, is I don't charge enough. Uh, you know, and, and not not necessarily um, being aware of how much value a client gets from the work that we do. Um, that I think that just holds us all back. And, uh, you know, I still want to win the business. And so, you know, when I know that I'm sending out a proposal or whatever, oftentimes I'll still cut down my prices below what I think I really should be charging because I want to make sure that I get the business right. So those are maybe the three biggest mistakes as I look back. They're not necessarily specific to a particular client, but really specific to the kind of business uh, that, that we all run. How about you? Well, I'm just wondering, when did you start your freelance business? So when you're talking about, I didn't have a network, like what, what year was that? Yeah. So I have, I mean, I freelanced the whole time that I've worked, right? So I've always had kind of a backup job or, you know, I've, I've had my own company or whatever. And so I was always doing freelancing through there. I launched my own business in 2016, uh, really hardcore, you know, going out, only doing copywriting, um, only, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And I would, again, I had my own company from 2014 through 2016. So I was freelancing at that time, but I also had this SaaS company that I, that I had that was bringing in revenue. Once I sold that off and I was all in, that was about 2016. Cool. I want to circle back. So it would be cool to talk about um, if you're comfortable with it today, selling your SaaS company at some point and just yep, like the steps it takes because I'm, I'm really interested in that. So and I probably did it all wrong. Me. I probably, you know, if you're talking about it, you'd be like, <laughs> oh, Rob, you could have had so much more money. Or, I don't know. But yeah, so let's talk about some of the mistakes you've made. That would be cool. That, that made you raise this question. Yeah, so I think for me, when I look back, it was like almost not knowing that I could really say no and not knowing that saying no when you're growing fast is actually a really smart way to grow, to grow in a, in a smarter way. So not even just about burnout, but just like about doing quality work and really building strong relationships with clients. When I look back, I just kind of said yes to everything. And I didn't even think it was an option to say no. I think it was just like not in my mindset or head just that you should probably say no and not stack everything. I almost was like, I think this is just how it's supposed to be. This is just how it's supposed to feel. So when I look back, I can think of like specific clients and where I I think the quality of work was always good. Like I don't look back and ever say, wow, I really failed that project or like I didn't put in enough effort into that project. But I do look back and I feel like there's certain projects where I worked with junior copywriters on them. I always did. And maybe it wasn't as good as it could have been if I had given it more attention, more of my attention, rather than spreading myself so thin across so many projects at one time. And so that was like when I was working on eight projects at a time. And I just look back and I'm like, what were you thinking? Um, and so 
I can think of a couple specific ones where, again, what, what I was handing over to the client, and some of them were pretty like big name, cool clients. I think it was good. Like time was put into it. Um, it was quality work, but I feel like I could have done more and added more of me and given it more of my attention and just like really put all of me into those projects and taken on less to excel, especially with those specific clients that were like these rock star clients. So I look back and I'm like, why didn't I just slow down and take on less and just like really build solid relationships with those clients and, um, and say no to other ones. Why do you think that you, you felt like you had to say yes to everything? I think I was just in this, I don't know. I think it was just maybe the power of yes, the downside of yes, is that you just get stuck in that cycle and you don't know how to pull yourself out. I really don't know. Actually, like I really don't have that answer other than at least now I've grown out of it. And now I take on less client work, but I really put more of myself into it. And I don't mean I don't work with junior copywriters or other collaborators. I still do, but I'm more involved. Like I just feel like I'm more invested. I care more because I have more capacity to care. And those relationships are really solid. Like I, I work with them longer for longer periods of time on multiple projects. Um, I care more. They become, not that your clients have to become your friends. They don't, but they feel kind of like friends in a way because I build those relationships. And I think I do the things that we teach in the copywriter club. I think I finally started doing those things that we do, those best practices that we teach that I just missed early on because I was moving so fast and spread so thin. So I think that's a big one is just, I would say the lesson is just like not spreading yourself too thin because you think that's what you're supposed to do and you think that's what growth is supposed to look like, but just really doing quality work, less of it and building that way. Um, that would have, I wish I could have heard that message from somebody. I don't know if I would have listened. Um, I think that's the big one. I would also add like, this is a common mistake for all of us, but not getting those testimonials sooner not asking everybody for a testimonial. There's so many, especially during that time where it was just really busy, where I just didn't ask. And I was like, oh, I'll get it later. And you can't get it later. I mean, you can, but like, you can't go back three years later and be like, hey, remember that time we worked together? You can do that. It's just a lot less effective and it, it just gets awkward. So um, now I make an effort of doing what you're supposed to do and like asking at the right time and not missing those testimonials that I missed out on for a couple of years. Um, so I think that's another big one. And then also the last one is just like working with people that I didn't, it's not that I, they were bad people. It's just, we didn't click. And again, I would say yes to them in those projects, even though they weren't really like, I wasn't excited about it. I wasn't excited about the project. And in some cases, like I kind of didn't really like the client, again, not because there was something wrong with them or me. It was just there wasn't that chemistry, but I would still say yes. And I just didn't feel as invested in those projects. And so today, like, I would never do that. I have to, like, really feel excited about the person I want to work with and invested. But back then, I was just, like, saying yes to everything. And then you get people that you're like, I don't even know if I really like you, but I have to write about you. So um, I think I just matured finally and my business matured and I make smarter decisions today, but all in all, like less is more. That's the big takeaway for me. Yeah. I, I think all of us have to go through that process of figuring out who do we want to work with and how do we narrow that down to the right people. And it takes, I do think it takes a lot of saying yes to figure out what to say no to. 
Uh, and so I guess it's probably just part of that natural process that we all have to go through as, as we start our own businesses here. And maybe we just have to go through it and it has to be painful. But I also think, you know, it would have been nice if, if I had some guidance in that area back then so that I didn't make those mistakes or I could see more clearly or, or it could be more clear about what I wanted. So I think that's where, you know, we're trying to do that with the Copywriter Club and give that guidance to people so they don't have to make those same mistakes. Okay. So second question. Um, there are a lot of copywriters, Kira, who really struggle with comparisonitis. You know, they see that other copywriters are doing something similar to the thing that they wanted to do, or, you know, the, the specialty that they develop is similar to something else that somebody else is teaching. And what they end up doing is it, it holds them back from actually going out into the world and talking about the things that they want. So let's say, you know, they've been working on sales pages. They wanted to do a course on sales pages, but they then see, you know, there's, I don't know, two dozen other copywriters out there with courses already on sales pages. So they hold themselves back. They don't do it. Or, you know, maybe it's about, you know, content creation or brand voice or research or, or something else. Or we also see it where, you know, they've, they've learned something from somebody and they now do it their way, but they're afraid to teach it because, you know, they don't want to step on a mentor's toes or whatever. So what do you think about that kind of thing and how, I mean, I have some ideas here, but how do you think we can address it as copywriters? Yeah. Well, I know, like you said, this has popped up a lot recently and I think that will, it will just continue to pop up because the copywriting community is quite solid, right? Whether it's in the TCC or other communities, um, we're more connected than ever to other copywriters who might be doing something similar to us or might even, you know, it's really easy to find other copywriters in the space who might have a similar style or a brand personality or work on the same deliverables. So um, the overlap is there. It's going to continue to be there as it gets more and more crowded as more freelancers become copywriters. Uh, so I think the real challenge is what you mentioned that the worst thing that could happen is that you hold yourself back and don't create the business you want or launch the idea, the product, the course, whatever it is, the podcast, because you feel like someone else is already doing it. And it just keeps popping up with copywriters that we talk to where they're like, I'm not, I haven't done this thing yet, or so-and-so is doing it. And usually it's really distinct and there are differences. I mean, the biggest difference is you, right? You, Rob teaching something is very different than Kira teaching it, which is very different than somebody else teaching it. So at the core, like you bring something very different to the table, but also there's room for everyone. And I think this is where having a scarcity mindset can really hold you back. And that's more of a mindset issue. I know you and I have worked on this over the years. It's not perfect. I still have times where I can focus too much on what other people are doing and not what I'm doing and get lost. Um, but I do think it takes practice and over time it can start to get easier. I would just say like part of my advice would be to stop paying attention to what everyone else is doing, especially if there's someone who's similar to you or who's doing in a similar space, right? You both specialize in like, for me, it's like personality driven copy. So I probably shouldn't watch everything that every other personality-driven copywriter is doing because it will be a distraction. It could cause me to stall. It could cause me to not do something. It could be a distraction um, that prevents me from actually doing what I should be doing. And the worst thing is you could actually pull in ideas or pull in someone else's IP 
unintentionally, which could happen, right? Um, we'll assume that it's not intentional, but sometimes there is overlap and we pull stuff in that maybe we'd rather not pull in. So I've stopped paying attention to other people who are doing something similar to, to us as the copywriter club or to me as Kira hug. Um, I've stopped paying attention to them and I've cut it out and put the blinders on. What if, what would you recommend Rob to people who are struggling with this or maybe have had that idea and said, I'm not going to do it, or I'm not going to specialize in this because so-and-so is already specializing in this. Well, and there's, there's a balance here, right? Because we pay attention to other people because we want to learn. We want to see if there's something that we're missing. We want to add to our skill set. And so from that perspective, paying attention to people is actually a smart thing to do. Um, but you're right. At some point, you do have to kind of stop saying, okay, you know, this person has, you know, a, a sales page course or whatever. So I'm not going to buy that course because I have my own process and I'm, I can put together my stuff. Um, and I'll do it my way. I think this is really where some of the stuff we teach again in, in our programs really helps like having frameworks that are, are really, um, exclusive to you having a unique mechanism. So you understand what is the thing that you do differently to deliver the result. Um, you know, so if, if you're writing sales pages or voice guides or content plans or whatever it is, like the deliverable at the end of the day is going to be pretty dang similar, no matter what the process is. But if your process is different, you know, if you've changed it up a little bit, um, you know, if you understand what goes into it, uh, you can talk about it in a way that is fresh and original to you. But I think the, the best way to make sure that, you know, this doesn't ever become a problem is that instead of creating copywriting products for copywriters, you create copywriting products, marketing products for your niche. So, you know, if you are helping coaches to write, you know, personality driven sales pages, like what you do, Kira, you create a course that's designed for coaches to do that thing, right? It's not for other copywriters to go through the same process. Or, you know, if I want to, you know, do something around, um, you know, content plans or, you know, again, I, I know I keep using these same examples over and over, but maybe it's an email sequence or, you know, an email plan, um, list building, whatever. I want to do that for the SaaS niche, right? Because I'm not teaching other copywriters how to do something that other copywriters are teaching. I'm teaching people in my niche who do not have this fundamental skill set how to do these things that we do well. And uh, I, I think the other side of that is that oftentimes when we aim these kinds of products to our niche, they sell better than they do when we sell them to other copywriters. So it can actually be more lucrative to make sure that you're teaching people in your niche as opposed to teaching other copywriters. That might sound a little self-serving since clearly you and I teach copywriters to do a lot of stuff. And I'm not necessarily saying don't compete with us, um, but I am saying this is something that we've seen over and over and over again. When you create products that teach people how to market or write copywriting, write copy better, in your niche, you'll often do better than if you're just uh, another me too in a crowded copywriting field. But it's also not to say there's there's not space in the copy. If you are passionate about serving copywriters, which we meet many copywriters who just love helping other copywriters, um, yep. there is so much space within there because you can look and identify holes. And again, Rob mentioned it's more self-serving. Like we do certain things really well in the copywriter club. We do not teach and have a hundred different offers. That's not realistic. That would actually be a very bad business move for us. It's also, we have certain things we specialize in collectively. And um, there are so many holes in there and opportunities. If you are really excited about serving other copywriters where you could identify like, here's something new that I've done, done it really well. I've got results and I could help other copywriters do that too. So I think part of it is 
surveying the space and understanding the space well enough to identify the best opportunities, the best holes in the marketplace, um, rather than jumping into something that has maybe been done repeatedly and you might not get as much traction there. And then I also, I do love your advice, Rob, about just like looking beyond the copywriting space too, to figure out what other problems you can solve that you may be more passionate about and more excited about. And so there's so much opportunity out there for copywriters who are ambitious and have talent and have ideas and want to create and do the work um, that there's, there's really no, it's infinite possibilities, which is really exciting. But again, the worst thing you could do is decide that you're not going to do anything because someone else could be doing something in a similar way. That's if you feel like that keeps happening to you, then, well, actually, Rob, what's, what's your advice? If there's someone like, if someone who's like, I know I didn't launch something or create it six months ago, or I know I'm not sharing my expertise in this niche that I, I want to focus on because I feel like someone else has already done it. What would your advice be to them? Uh, I mean, again, assuming that you're not taking their ideas or their IP, I say, do it anyway. Uh, for all of the reasons that we've said, you know, your voice is different. You're going to connect with different people than other people will connect. You're going to put your own spin on things, your unique way of looking at things. If you've got a framework, if you've thought through your processes, if you understand what makes you different, I'd say do it anyway, because there is space for everyone. And especially again, if you go out to, to a particular niche, if, you know, if you're teaching people who don't have any of these skills, uh, there's just so much opportunity out there to share this superpower that we have as copywriters. And it's, uh, it's, so I, I guess I would just say, um, do it anyway. Okay. So tips overall, learn, learn from other experts, but know when it might be a good time to stop learning about this one thing from people. If you want to step into that area, um, it might be too similar. So it's worth not I'm not saying this very well, but like not learning from direct competitors because you want to bring new ideas to the table. So look outside of your industry, look outside in the world for creative concepts, experiences and viewpoints that you could bring into that space rather than just looking at everyone else who's doing something similar to you. Um, like you mentioned, frameworks, developing your framework, uh, putting blinders up and also uh, figuring out your unique mechanism and X, X factor. Yep, all of those things, very helpful as you go out and want to teach the things that, that we all teach. Okay, next question. So we hosted our virtual event this past April. And so we took our in-person, in real life TCC event and went virtual. We learned a lot along the way. What would you say, Rob, are some lessons you learned from that transition that you would want to share with someone else who might be taking an event virtual or hosting their first virtual event? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I take away every time we do an event is that it takes a team to do to, to produce an event. I mean, looking back to the very first time that you and I produced an event and uh, we were doing everything on our own right up until maybe four weeks before the event. And we got connected with, I think Perna connected us with Elaine, our, our event coordinator at the time. And she was a total lifesaver. Like We could not have pulled it off without her uh, and as uh, each year as IRL's kind of gotten bigger or we've added different things, having a team to help out is massively important. And, uh, you know, one of our team members had a baby right in the middle of it, which, you know, again, made things a little tricky for us. Um, but having a team in place is critically important. Number two, I think 
um, is when it comes to doing something like a virtual event, you have to be aware of what's out there in order to be able to do things differently. And you and I, you know, approached this and said, you know, we, we don't want this to feel like a summit. We don't want this to feel like a Zoom call um, because we've, you know, over the last year, so many of us have, have got the Zoom fatigue. We've all been in the free summits and all of that kind of stuff. And so being aware of what's out there so that we could, um, I guess, you know, to, to use a, a well overused term, zag when everybody else is zigging, you know, do something different, I think, helped us to um, to make it a really unique uh, time, kind of an online event. And so, you know, we had the murder mystery and we, we had a mixology class and, and, you know, the, the spill your guts or fill your guts, uh, which, you know, is very different. But then we also had amazing presenters who came in and, and taught, you know, copywriting business skills, um, some really great conversations, and then, you know, matching that with the community stuff that we do. Um, it's hard to replicate an offline event in an online space. I, I think we did pretty good. Maybe we can do it a little bit better next time if there's a next time. Uh, um, but the biggest takeaway for me is I miss in person. I miss hanging out with real people uh, a lot and I can't wait till we can get back together. How about you? What, what were your big takeaways from our event? I think you covered most of them, but I think that the big parts are you have to have a strong tech team. So we hired um, a really awesome AV tech team to work with us. I mean, it was like six people on their team and they were so incredible. Um, so I think, especially if you're going to operate only in the virtual space, they need to be top notch. Like they need to be on, on it at all times um, because random problems will pop up and you want a team that's dealt with everything. So I felt like that was a really, we made a really great decision working with this incredible team that we worked with. Um, communication. So in addition to tech, like, yes, you have to get your tech straight. And this isn't to say that in, in person events, you don't have to have an AV team. Of course you do. Of course you want them to also be good, but it just is even more important when everything depends on virtual. And then in addition to that, the communication is even more critical than I realized because people can't walk up to your help desk at you know, if you have an in-person event, they can't ask questions. They can't walk up to Rob and ask him questions. They can't go up to the event organizer. Um, they can't ask their friends, right? They're sitting next to. So the communication is so important. And I think probably doing it again, I would have a even stronger communications team that had every type of um, email in place so that people know where they need to be. They have all the information they need. It's all set up ahead of time because it, we ended up sending out so many emails, way more than we would send if we were hosting our in-person event. And so that is a huge difference that you need to prepare for. And then the last part is just, you want to ask, you want to ask people who are joining and already paid to join what they want. And you really want to shape the event around what would be most useful to them format wise, style wise, um, because you don't really know until you ask them. And so we asked the people who attended frequently, like what would make this incredible for you? What would be useful? And we shaped it around what the people wanted. And I think that really helped make it worthwhile in the end. So it was really giving attendees what they want. Yeah. And, you know, if you're listening to us talk about this and you're thinking, oh, I wish I had been able to see what that was all about. Uh, we'll add a link so you can see the videos that we recorded everything, workshops, presentations, even the fun stuff. Uh, and, and we'll include a link in the show notes where you can click over and uh, get a copy of that if that's something that's interesting to you. Okay. Uh, next question. I know this is something we've talked a lot about, uh, on the podcast recently and in our groups, you know, we, we've, uh, 
promoted um, Dave Ruel's book Done by Noon and all of that. But Kira, how do you stay focused, uh, especially knowing that, you know, that we've got you've got stuff you're doing in your own business. We've got stuff that we're doing together. You're getting ready to take some maternity leave. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. And we're, we're approaching summertime. So all kinds of stuff that goes on with that. How do you stay focused? Yeah, I think for me, pulling this from Dave Ruel and um, I mean, this is it's pretty basic and obvious too. It's just focusing on less. And this goes back to what I shared about looking back at um, mistakes earlier in my copywriting career. I think oftentimes my mistakes come from spreading myself too thin, thinking I can do way more than I can do um, and not having that focus, like knowing exactly what should be done to hit your the goals that you want to achieve. And so I think the benefit this past year of dealing with overwhelm, of being pregnant and like having way less energy um, over the last nine months has just been that I have to focus now. And like you said, we have to focus as a team because I'm about to step out for for some time and um, we've had different team changes and other team members stepping out too. So if we don't focus, the business, we don't want to be dramatic. It's not going to shut down, but um, there are repercussions if we don't figure out how to focus. For me, Personally, if I don't figure out how to focus, um, I'm going to really struggle because I'm, I'm not going to have the capacity to pull all-nighters and bang things out like I used to. So I think for me, it finally has become so critical that I do it, which is probably helpful. So for me, it's just now like, what are the three buckets we're focused on as a team every quarter? And I need to think about that every morning when I wake up, what is it? What are we focused on? What needs to move the needle? What do I need to focus on today or this week? And it has to just be related to those three buckets. And even if it's not, at least I know, okay, this project really isn't related to those three projects, but as soon as I'm done with it, I need to get back to those three projects. And having that communication across our team is so important so that we're all working towards the same thing. Because I think you and I have felt it when we're not, when it feels like we're all moving in different directions and that does not feel good. And that does not move our business forward. How do you think about focus? I think you said it really well. I mean, for me, if it's not on my list, if it's not in my calendar, I know it's not going to get done. And a lot of the times, if it is on my list, it's still not going to get done because, you know, it, it, there's just always more to do than we can possibly get done. And so it's focusing on the most important things, things that have to happen. You know, we know we're going to get a podcast out every week. We know that we're going to get a newsletter out to our underground members every single month. We know that, you know, the uh, programs that we run are going to have to have certain things happening at certain times. So focusing on that stuff first and then fitting in the other stuff uh, in between and being okay uh, when stuff doesn't get done and, and knowing that, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, we can push a week or two, but, you know, just trying to fit in where we can. Uh, it is important to take time away from work. I mean, I can easily sit at my desk, you know, 10 or 12 hours a day. And the problem is when I do that, I actually am less effective the next day or, you know, the day after. And so I'm really taking that time to relax, but I agree with everything that you said. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think the two of us have figured out our unique focuses too. And what you're focused on is sometimes different than what I'm focused on and how that becomes more and more important as you build a team. If you're listening and you build a team, so everybody has their own unique areas of focus, which we've been working on too. Okay. Any other tips for focus? I feel like that's it. I, <laughs> that's all we got. 
Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked a lot about it. So listen to the podcast we did with Dave Ruel. Check out the training he did in the underground. It's an amazingly good training. And I'm sure we'll keep talking about it because it's such an important part of getting things done for all of our businesses. Okay, so uh, I'm curious, Rob, what what motivates you? You know, you've been doing this copywriting thing for a while. You, We've been building the Copywriter Club for a while, like going on five years. So what motivates you when things might become, I don't know, when they might start to feel less exciting or feel like work, or it's, you know, it's more of the, the day-to-day maintenance growth. Uh, what motivates you to feel energized about what you're doing as an entrepreneur and a copywriter? Yeah. So I think one of the things that keeps me motivated is the fact that I just really like what we're doing, you know, what we're building together. And so I don't wake up Monday morning thinking, oh, I've got to find the energy to do what we're going to do this week. Like I'm actually excited about the kinds of work that we do and particularly what we do together. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not sure that I need a whole lot of motivation around that. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I want to make money to pay the mortgage and, you know, to afford things that I want in my life or whatever. So there's, there's that kind of motivation, but I think the ultimate motivation is finding and doing something that you love. And when I find, when I find myself really unmotivated by work, you know, it's because I'm working with a client that I don't actually love the product or I'm not excited about, you know, writing you know, the web pages for them or whatever. And so it's, it's usually related to how much I actually love the thing that I'm doing. And so the more I focus on the things that I love, the things that I'm good at, the zone of genius type stuff, the more I find that I actually don't need to worry too much about motivation. I, I stay pretty motivated. How about you? Um, for me, I think it's uh, continuing to find interests outside of what we do really helps me actually motivate and feel excited about what we do <laughs> as like copywriters and marketers and as community builders and um, con- helping grow this community. When I read um, a wide range of books, when I'm just immersed in other areas of life that I'm passionate about and interested in learning and seeking, it actually really helps me then jump back into what we're doing in the copywriter club and come up with new ideas and feel really excited about like different ways we could pursue what we're doing or um, just feel excited about working in general. But if I don't have those outside influences and it doesn't have to be a hobby, it could just be reading about something else I'm interested in or watching some documentary, whatever it is, um, then I start to kind of dull out and feel like I'm not adding some new, I'm not seeking enough. So I guess when I'm seeking elsewhere and learning, then I bring that enthusiasm and energy to what we're doing with the copywriter club or what I'm doing with my copywriting business. So I've noticed that trend. And if I fall off, like everything kind of feels duller. Um, But I think as far as like the copywriter club, I am excited about new challenges (laughs) most days when it's like, we know there's this problem and we need to fix it or we need to like make it better or improve it. I get really excited about those challenges of like, how can we, how can we take this and turn it into that? Or how can we make this a hundred times better? And it's daunting. And sometimes I get overwhelmed by it, but other days, like it really motivates me. Like, how do we solve these big problems in our own business? And how do we help other copywriters solve the problems? So I think the problem solving aspect is always, always keeps me motivated. So I think that's a big part of it. The team aspect too, like that's also feels like it's always evolving. How do we grow a team? How do we get people excited and, and figure out how we can all work towards the same mission? 
So that still feels new and exciting to me as well. But I think in combination, all of that, you know, lights me up and feels fun. And you're right. I don't dread Mondays. Like I enjoy any time I have with team members, with you. I don't dread Zoom calls. I enjoy the people we work with. Like I love the people we work with, the copywriters we work with. Um, so that all feels easy and fun. Yep. I agree. Liking what you do, I think is the, is the biggest key to being motivated. And, and if you aren't liking it and that can happen, you can like and love what you do and it could be a new week and something changes or you change and you don't like it as much or something feels off. And so I think that's okay too. And sometimes it's just an off week or day. And sometimes it's a reminder to like, look at what you're doing and see how you can change it to improve it. Maybe there's, maybe you just need to work with new clients. Maybe the clients you focused on are not the right ones, or you need to find a new niche, or it's the structure of your business that no longer works for you. And so I think that's an important part. So you don't blame yourself and like wonder, why am I not motivated? Why am I not excited about this? I was a year ago. It's okay if the business changes or you change and you can, we have the power to transform our businesses to fit what we want when we want it. Well, and we see that happen with a lot of copywriters. I mean, you and I have done that. Like your yeah. business does evolve uh, over time. And, you know, maybe you start out as a copywriter and you're perfectly happy writing web pages and you're figuring out the copywriting thing. And then at some point you want to maybe be more strategic about what you're doing, or you, or you want to be more of a consultant and helping to advise your clients the kinds of marketing that they should be doing. And, and as your skills grow and as your knowledge base grows, your expertise, it's only fair that you're able to incorporate all of that stuff into the kind of work that you're doing. And so, yeah, your business is going to evolve. And if, like you're saying, if you've sort of found that place where you're not motivated anymore, maybe it's because you're ready to evolve and you just haven't stepped up into whatever that new thing is. Yeah. And it's in, and that's okay. And it may be a different form of copywriting, or it may be that you want to do something else other than copywriting. And that's yeah. also okay. <laughs> I think that's, it's also okay to expand beyond copywriting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say that because oftentimes, well, not that often, but you know, maybe, maybe one out of 20 or one out of 10 people who join the copywriter think tank at some point they figure out it's like, I'm not sure I actually want to do the copywriting part of this. I really like the strategy part, or I really like the brand part, or I really like the mindset part and they kind of focus. So copywriting becomes this tool for this thing that they want to do that's bigger than what they have before. And I think that's the beauty of, uh, you know, things like the think tank or other masterminds is it helps you evolve into the kind of business that serves your life better. Yeah. I love the fact that if, you know, if the copywriter club were to shut down tomorrow, like having the skill of copywriting, we can take that wherever we go. We can take that to other companies. We could just, you know, fall back on that. Um, it's a skill set that if you continue to learn and focus on it, you'll always, I mean, mostly, right, be okay and have that business to fall back on, which is makes me feel safe at least and is comforting. Yeah. Okay. Next question. So this actually links to the previous question about what motivates you. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, how you think about that evolution, right? And maybe we've already addressed it, but as you evolve as a human and you, um, things change in your life, right? For you, like you have children who are graduating and, and moving away, um, as things change, how does that affect the way that you build your business or think about your business? How do you approach change in business and life when we know that, Neither are static. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, at the risk of repeating you yeah. know, what we talked about the last question, uh, I do think that, you know, my approach has definitely changed as I've gotten older. Uh, I, I used to be more about like taking the project, getting the work done, making the money. I think I've shifted more into like trying to master a skill set, being more strategic with how I approach my clients, working yeah. with better clients, clients that are, are doing really interesting things. Um, and I'm also looking at my business as a way of creating uh, wealth as opposed to just a paycheck, you know, because uh, I mean, I'm still 20 years away, maybe longer from retiring, but you know, when, when that happens, when I decide I want to walk away or whatever, I'd like to make sure that, you know, I don't have to, you know, no offense to anybody who decides to do this, but I don't want to be a greeter at Walmart or, you know, I don't want to have to be, you know, doing something that doesn't light me up to just in order to pay the bills, or whatever. Like if I were to choose to do that, I hope it's because, you know, that's something that interests me. I want to meet people or, or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I think business does change over time and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're thinking about how should our approach to what we're building and what we're doing change, uh, as as we move on, how about you? I mean, you're at a kind of a different life stage, um, but I'm I'm retiring thinking... in five years. Yeah, I don't know what you you're talking about. Twenty years. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Different life stage. You're going to be way ahead of me in retiring. <laughs> you can come to my retirement party. I've, I've got your watch ready to give to you. <laughs> Thank you for um, your service. I yeah. So I think part of it is. Um, pulling in, and we already mentioned this, but pulling in those outside influences to shape what you're doing as a copywriter, as a marketer. So because I live in DC and things have been shut down for the past year, I have missed out. Like part of the reason I love cities is because you can meet so many people and go to networking events. And especially in a city that's as social as DC, I can't wait to go out and meet people, especially in this political environment where I feel like I'm, you know, there aren't as many freelance copywriters here. It's like people who are heavily into this world of politics and that excites me. So I think for me, it's pulling in that outside influence based off where I live right now and meeting with people that maybe um, have very different experiences from me and work in a very different industry and learning like maybe my next niche is not course creators who are launching. Maybe it's working with different candidates who are running a campaign where I can come in and work with them as a communications director and take on a new type of project. Like talk about mastery and learning for me, it's like figuring out where else I can take my copywriting skills so that I'm learning and I feel excited. And I'm also taking advantage of what's around me and what hasn't been around me over the last year. So like stuff like that really excites me where I can think about what else can I do with copywriting, right? What else can I do with these skills that I have that feels really new and exciting? Um, so part of it's related to that. And then the other part, I like what you're talking about around wealth and thinking about and thinking about business in a, a bigger way as far as like what assets are we creating? So like what assets are we building with the Copywriter Club? And, um, and how can that transform our careers too, whether it's preparing for retirement or just thinking about other assets we could create within the copywriter club or beyond. So I think that that piece of it um, is really important too. So I'm, I'm glad that you covered that. I feel like we could go a lot deeper on wealth and how to build wealth in a future episode and talk about you know how, to, how we're thinking about that. Yeah, I agree. There's lots to be said about wealth. And I, I think this is something that I haven't heard a lot of other copywriters talk about, but you know, when we create copy, 
we are creating assets, you know, and it's they're, they're assets just like machinery that can be used over and over to generate wealth, just, you know, as you would in a factory or anything else. And so whether you're creating assets for your clients or you're creating them for your own business, it's an important thing to remember that we're doing and, uh, you know, something that any copywriter can apply to their own business. What assets are you creating that will generate wealth for you moving forward? Yes. And this is what we do as copywriters. So it's great to think about all the other assets we can create in other industries too, and think beyond the bubble that we're in. Okay. So I think that covers how we evolve and feel excited about, feel excited and motivated. So let's move on to trends or patterns we've noticed in the copywriting space. If, if you have noticed any, Rob, I know we've covered this before, but is there anything new as of May 2021 that you feel like is worth noting? I don't know that it's new as of yeah. May 2021, but I, I have seen like a really a big intensification of focus on unethical marketing. More and more people calling their things ethical this or ethical that, um, or, you know, really calling out people who, you know, are doing things unethically. Um, I, I do think sometimes people are called out for things that are ethical and maybe, you know, just not being applied right or, you know, like there's, there's like this really wide gray space and it's really easy to accuse people of doing things that um, you maybe feel unethical from one side, but maybe not from the other. And so I do think we need to be a little bit careful of that. But a lot of people are talking about, you know, marketing, how does it need to change in order to, you know, support um, people's decision making to not be manipulative um, and again, uh, I, I do think that sometimes we criticize things for being manipulative that aren't, you know, for, for whatever reason, uh, everybody's entitled to bring their own opinions to this discussion. I think it's a healthy discussion to have, and it's a good thing that is happening more and more. Uh, but I think that's maybe the one big trend that I see, um, you know, happening in our space. Um, other than that, you know, the, the same principles in copywriting and persuasion that have been working for years are still working today. You know, maybe we apply them slightly differently, but uh, a lot of that human behavior stuff is never going to change. How about you? Any, any trends jump out at you? Um, I think a lot more copywriters are creating their own shops with their own products and using those products to bring in new customers and to kind of bring them into their extension model, which I think is really exciting. I love the idea of product creation. I know that's something that we're working on with a bunch of different think tank members right now. And it's a great way to use our skill set as copywriters, you know, which is innovation, creativity, um, and to create something that is our own asset and our own IP uh, that we can hang on to. And so I think that's been big. Also um, transitioning away, this has been happening over time, but away from courses that are more, you know, typical courses to more of done with you programs where there's more accountability built into it. There are more milestones to help with achievement. I think, you know, we've already talked to death about how courses are so unsuccessful overall. So it's been really cool to see that shift in the way that so many of us are working with our clients to help them and also with our own programs to help get people across the finish line and to figure out how we can do it better. So I love that that's such a big part of what we focus on in TCC, but copywriters are focusing on their own programs and helping their clients do it too. And I think this is an opportunity for more offers for copywriters to help their clients with retention and with success in their, their courses and, and their programs. So that's been a big change. And going along with that, I think 
um, you know, a lot of courses are getting shorter. They're, they're more intense. They're maybe more focused on solving one problem. So there are fewer and fewer everything you need to know about copywriting or everything you need to know about marketing and more how do you do this one thing type courses, um, which is, I think, a really positive thing because, you know, if, if you're struggling with proposals, you don't need an entire course on setting up a copywriting business. You can just go and get, you know, that training on proposals. Uh, and, and so it, as we focus in on more of those kinds of things, and it's not just us in the copywriter club that, that are doing that, um, it really helps people solve their problems. Yeah. And such a great way for you to possibly help your client. If you know that they're struggling, like they have great content, Maybe they've had some success with their programs previously, but they're struggling to get people across that finish line. So you can come in not just as a copywriter, but as a copywriter and problem solver and consultant and give them expertise and value and ideas that they can implement as a team. So I think there's a lot more opportunity for us to help there. Agreed. The, the other one I'd add is just communities. I know we're focused on communities. It's a big part of what we do with the Copywriter Club, but it's been fun to see more communities pop up and more of an emphasis around community development and growth. And also I think observe in the space how, you know, experts like Anna Hetzel have helped elevate community and the way that we think about community and what we can do with community. And it's not just throwing people, a bunch of people into a Facebook group. It's, it's thinking beyond that. And so I think that will continue to grow as communities help, uh, help, support these programs and these businesses, um, I think they're going to be given a lot more attention and we're going to challenge the way that we think about what's possible in an online community that meets mostly online. Uh, so I think that's exciting too. Awesome. I agree. Okay. I think we have some lightning round questions. This is something, I, I guess we've, we've done a couple of lightning round type things before. Um, Maybe we should start with your, the question you shared, what are we reading right now? And yeah, I would love to right share, now? I've got my pile, so I'm going to share it. All right. So I'm reading the 21 lessons for the 21st century by Yuval Noah Harari. Um, just to, I feel like this book is satisfying the inner seeker in me that just like wants to understand the world and all the conflict. And like, I just, as a, you know, we're all connectors of ideas and concepts. So I just trying to constantly like connect ideas and solve problems in my head that aren't easy to solve. And so this book has helped me think through it in a more focused way. Um, Interesting. I'm gonna have to add that to my list. It, it reminds me of a book I read last year called Factfulness, which is, you know, really about like understanding the, the real facts and, and how crazy uh, some of our misunderstandings are. But yeah, I'm going to add that to my list. It's, it's great. Um, this book is great if you are into, you know, futurism and just like what's happening, which I geek out on and like predictions and um, that are research backed. So that's one of them. Of course, the highly sensitive person. Rob, have you read that book? I have not. Okay. I, I have a feeling, I have a feeling I'm, I might be too un insensitive to, to actually read that book. I don't know. As I asked you that question, I was like, I don't think, I don't yeah, think this is your book. Like, um, by Elaine Aaron. Uh, it's so, you know, I like, I know it gets so obnoxious and sometimes hearing about people who are highly sensitive. It's like, like, come on, we're t tired of hearing about how you're so sensitive to the world and you can't handle anything. 
but it's also a good book. If you know that you tend to be more sensitive, if you know, like my children are more sensitive, um, I am about halfway through, but it's just been helpful to learn more. And again, it's just, it's all about self-awareness. And then I'll just share, share one more. Uh, so run to win by uh, the president of Emily's list, Stephanie Shriak. And so this is all about campaigning. And so, like I mentioned, I'm trying to get involved kind of in the more of the DC scene and volunteer and support different campaigns. And so my head is in the space of just like, how does what we do as copywriters translate to political campaigns? And I know it does, but I just have to kind of put the pieces together um, to connect the dots. And so that's another space I'm interested in. And the last book I will share is one that my, our, our um, babysitter shared with me because I think, well, I need more fiction in my life. So it's called the vanishing half. It's, you know, a top, top bestseller book right now by Britt Bennett. So I'm just getting into that because I have a really hard time reading fiction. So I'm trying to like, I'm trying to do it and yeah, expand. Nice. Nice. Where are you reading? Oh, that's a good list. So uh, a couple of books that I'm reading. So uh, one of our mentors um, sent us this book by Anthony Sullivan. He's a pitch guy at Home Shopping Network and uh, I think was best friends with Billy Mays, the OxyClean guy. Uh, I think he pitches for OxyClean now. It's called You Get What You Pitch For. It's really a good book. It's about sales, but it's about more than sales. It's really you know about preparing the space so that your message can be heard and and uh, it's it's really good. It's actually a really good match for another book that I started listening to this morning called, um, it's called The Catalyst by Jonah Berger, which is all oh. about change and uh, how do you respond to reactants? And there's five ways that, you know, when somebody is trying to convince us of something or persuade us of something that, that we react, you know, with resistance or inertia or distance. And it's really all about overcoming that. And those two books together pair really well. It got me thinking about uh, a couple of things and um, may actually spur the idea for, you know, another a newsletter in, in the underground. So I'm liking those both. Um, some fiction that I've uh, been reading recently, uh, an author that I used to read when I was in my 20s and hadn't picked up in a long time. And a friend uh, reached out and said, hey, do you remember this, this author? And so I picked up a couple of books that, or one book that I'd read of his before, and then another, uh, his name's Julian Barnes. Um, his book, A History of the World in 10 and a Half Chapters is cool. funny and really well-written. The final great. chapter, the final chapter is all about um, a guy who goes to heaven and it is, it's hilarious uh, in like, it, there's kind of like this new heaven and old heaven and how things used to be. And it's, it's really funny and, and very, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's witty, it's sarcastic. It's, you know, it's a lot of fun to read. So, um, and then maybe one last one that I'll mention is one that Jerisha Hawk mentioned to us and it's The Road Less Stupid, which I've had sitting on on my desk since she recommended Ooh. that to us. And I've started thumbing through that because I think I told her at the time I could use a lot less stupid in my life. And if <laughs> this book helps me get there. Um, and so uh, that's also on my, on my shelf and hopefully will be uh, read in the next week or so. I want to read that one. I, I forgot she mentioned that. Um, those sound good. I feel like you we should trade books. You should send me your books when you're done with them. So I can yeah. Read. I'm, I'm going to have to listen to uh, the campaign book. I actually took 
like candidate training 20 years ago when I, yeah, yeah. when I was going to run for office and that didn't happen, but um, someday, someday, maybe. Yeah. I I'm excited about that idea of just getting into a new space. And so, and learning, um, I just, I don't, I struggle with fiction. I really need help getting into fiction. Like, I just don't know what my problem is, why I can't get into it. So if anybody has advice, tips, let me know. Yeah. You might enjoy some of Julian Barnes's books there. Okay. Really good. Really good. All right, cool. So also you had asked, what are we listening to? Like, what are we listening to a podcast wise, music wise, what's in our earbuds? Yeah. So for me, uh, most of what I listen to, it's like, you know, as I'm sitting here in my office or whatever. And so I've got a couple of, uh, listen to lists on, um, on Pandora that I use. One is called the Federico Abuelo or Abuele um, list. I actually heard Tim Ferriss refer to that um, as something he listened to when he was writing a couple of his books. And so I just found it on Pandora and I love it. It's like, it's the perfect, uh, most of the, if there's words, most of it's like in Brazilian or, or sorry, Brazilian. Yeah. Portuguese. Yeah, Rob, you need to read more and learn, learn some stuff. It's in Portuguese or, but yeah, it's the kind of stuff that I can kind of listen to in the background. It's got a nice beat, just kind of keeps me motivated and going. There's another, another um, playlist that I listen to on Pandora, just Frank Morgan radio. It's, you know, kind of this um, 60s, 70s jazz, kind of old fashioned jazz club. Just, I, I really dig it. Um, and so that's kind of what's always going on unless I'm on my bike. And then I have, then I have some very upbeat, um, music that I'll throw on when I'm on my bike. But other than that, it's just, it's pretty light jazz. How about you? What are you listening to? Well, we're going to have to link to that. I want to listen to all of that. Um, I mean, I have a song, like I've just chose one song um, that I listen to on repeat. So it's by Iron and Wine called Flightless Bird, American Mouth. And I just can't get tired of it. I just play it over and over again. And I just, I, I never tire of it. It's also in, it's in Twilight, the Twilight series, which my kids are really into right now. So that's why it kind of popped up recently when we started binging Twilight. Uh, podcast wise, I mean, I I know we mentioned it in our Friday or Saturday email, the Smart List podcast. I just, I it's really, I really enjoy that podcast and the the um, the back and forth and rapport of the three hosts. I think it's really hard to have a three host show. And they do it brilliantly and they bring in a guest. So four people, but it just works. The chemistry is there, the sense of humor. Like they're just so funny to me. And I love Jason Bateman and crush on Jason Bateman. So I do enjoy all the comedians they bring in and a lot of writers that they bring into the show to talk about what what happens behind the scenes of, of comedy and these shows that we all know with the writers. And so that's a big one. And because you mentioned Tim Ferriss, uh, if I look at what I'm listening to, like this past weekend, it was getting back to Tim Ferriss and just realizing he really is a great interviewer. He's really like, you know, if we're talking about how do we improve as podcast hosts, it's listening to podcast hosts who are top of their game as interviewers. And I think for me, it's, he's really mastered that art of interviewing. And so I learned a lot from him as far as interviewing goes. Um, But I really appreciated his recent show with um, Hamilton, from Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. Um, he has a show and and so it was just, Tim's interview with Hamilton was all about 
<laughs> different psychedelics and different drugs and the chemistry behind it and the science behind it. And it's just fascinating. And it makes me want to go back to school and become a chemist. And um, so I just like hearing any expert geek out on a topic that is just not familiar to me. It's just really fun. And I can just do that while I'm painting, painting our house. So that's what I did this past weekend. So anyway, that's it for a podcast. There are a bunch of other ones, but those are the ones I listened to in the last two days. Awesome. So as usual, we're really bad at these lightning round type questions. Those are really long answers to some short questions, but maybe we can do better with your list. All right. Lightning round questions. Rob, would you ever eat ice cream with your hands? Um, I won't say no. I mean, I have before, like when the ice cream's fallen off of the stick or off of the cone or whatever, I've had it in my hand. And, but, uh, if, if you're just scooping out a scoop into my hand, I'd probably, I'd probably say no, unless it's really, really good ice cream. What about you? No, I will not do it ever. I don't believe that. (laughs) I'm going to get you some ice cream. I will never do that. Um, if a person you've met only once before asked you to pack a bag and go on a fun and spontaneous adventure, would you go? Uh, yes, I would. I would, I would do that. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's maybe, there may be some rules involved, but yeah, I would do that. Uh, what about you? I would definitely do that. That sounds yeah. like so much fun. I want to meet someone just to do this. I feel like this is the need of adventure right now after, after the past year of stayed in. I'm like, any adventure sounds great. Yeah. I'm, I'll go I'm with a stranger. I don't care. Um, that sounds like fun. And if you think about it, when you, you and I, is this correct? You and I had only met once before in person before we became business partners. I guess that was technically twice. It was on the second meeting yeah, and then maybe, but like yeah. we had only met in person twice at that point and we went on so we're up we're up for yeah we're up for adventures so yeah this is us we're so adventurous okay when was the last time you had a good laugh uh this past weekend with my daughter watching impractical jokers and i don't know if you've ever seen that show but oh my gosh it's it's 30 minutes of cringing and laughing. And my daughter has this really loud out loud. Like she just, she literally guffaws when things are funny. So <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. How about you? Well, I want to hear her laugh. Um, I think recently it's been with my son, with Henry. He's six now and he is just so funny to me. And he just, he's so animated now. And he's learned how to like dance and shake his hips and just like he's almost learned how to flirt. <laughs> and so he just like, he is so funny um, with, he just knows how to make me laugh. And so nice. um, it's been really fun just to see him grow up a little bit and um, become this new version of Henry that is really entertaining and funny. So I've been enjoying, I've been enjoying that. Okay. What's your most embarrassing story from childhood? Uh, I guess the, I don't know that this is really the most embarrassing, but this is the one that I like still think about. So 40 years later, maybe it had some kind of mental impact on me, but I, my grandmother gave me a shirt for, for my birthday or whatever that I loved. It was, uh, it was like this English beef eater soldier or whatever. And I loved it so much that I wore it to school every day for two weeks. And, And I remember, I mean, this was like fifth grade, I think fourth or fifth grade. So um, and I remember, uh, one of the, the cool kids coming up to me and like making fun of me for wearing the oh, same no. shirt to school. And I still think of that every, like, not, 
it's not all that much, but it's like, it's probably one of those things that like makes me have to shower every day, right? Like there's some mental uh, oh, thing that's confronted. So yeah, so that's probably the most embarrassing. From Did my... you stop wearing it at that point? Uh, I probably stopped wearing it 12 days in a row. I still liked the shirt. So I think I let my mom wash it after that. But I want to see the shirt. I, see I actually shirt. still wear it every day, Kira. I've got it on underneath my But this does make here. sense though. Like your, your, your fashion vibe is kind of like consistency, right? Like it's like having a similar looking shirt. Something like so that. It's yeah. like your style. Yeah, it works. It worked for me. How about um, you? What, what embarrassing thing happened to you as a kid? My, I think I've already shared it on the show. I feel like I share it often, but it was, I actually, oh my God, in fourth grade, I peed my pants, which doesn't sound bad, but like fourth grade, you're evolved. It's not like you're a little kindergartner, like you are evolved. And I was sitting across from my crush, this guy named Steve. It's always Steve. (laughs) It didn't work out. And I blacked out. I don't remember anything from it. And it was because I was such like a goody goody. Like my teacher was very strict about going to the bathroom and I was such a people pleaser and like, just so afraid to get into trouble. Even though I was such a good kid, I would never have gotten in trouble if I'd asked her to use the restroom, but I just didn't want to ask her because she intimidated me. So I held it and held it and held it until I couldn't hold it. And then I blacked out and I don't remember anything else that happened until I was in the nurse's office. And then like Nobody ever mentioned it to me, which is also weird. I don't know if the, to- the teacher told them not to mention it. It was like it never even happened, which made it more bizarre. So I don't know. Maybe I should talk to a therapist about this, but it's just like. It's, <laughs> both, of us, it, both of us have some therapy in our future. I can, I can see. Yes, but it's so bizarre now because Harper is going into fourth grade. And so just to see her age and like, see how evolved she is. I was like, oh, wow, that's when it happened to me. Like go to the bathroom, make sure you go to the bathroom when you need to. (laughs) But yeah, I still think about it. I still think about it and cringe. I mean, I'm not past the cringe stage of it, which I should be. It still makes me cringe. Okay. Uh, Next question. (laughs) Who's your favorite celebrity? Who's yours? I don't think I know. Uh, I don't know that I have a favorite, but I yeah. like like Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett oh, yeah. Johansson, Ryan Reynolds. Those are all kind of they, superheroes, they, like some superheroes. So, yeah, some of them. I mean, I mean, I guess all of those guys have played parts in in Marvel movies for sure. Uh, I I tend to like actors and actresses that are sort of you know in TV shows or whatever, but they don't ever really become known. It's just like, oh, I really like that actress. She's like, um, we've just been watching Endeavor, which is a masterpiece theater series. And Sarah Vickers plays one of the roles. And I'm just, I've seen her in, um, in Shetland and in a couple of other things. I'm like, she's just a really good actress. And, uh, you know, so, or uh, Sean Evans, who, who plays the lead, right? Like there are just so many good character actors. That's, I, I tend to like to watch those. I don't, I'm not sure that I have a lot of favorites, but yeah. if I had to choose favorites, it'd be those, you know, something like those three. What about you? Yeah, I um, I'm, I mean, similar. I can name so many. It depends on the day and the mood. But Anthony Hopkins is a classic. Like, okay. just I, I love some Anthony. Um, Kate Blanchett, I okay. just crush on her. She's elegant. Adds so much to any role, any role, any movie with her. And then I know I already mentioned him, but Jason Bateman. I just, yeah, I just crush. really. It's not even a. I feel like we would be good friends. Like, I feel like he is. To me, he represents this self-deprecating sense of humor. Um, he's he's he can make fun of himself on the podcast. Um, he's so smart and witty, and just like pulls out these one-liners. And um, so, uh, yeah, Jason Bateman. 
I'm sure it will change. I'll probably grow out of this phase, but I doubt it. I want to become friends with him. Um, Okay. I think that covers our celebrity, our celebrities, favorite celebrities. Uh, Okay. So who out of the two of us, who would survive longer, stay alive longer in a zombie apocalypse? I don't know the answer. I feel like this is not easy. I, I think if it comes down to our running ability, I think you're going to stay alive. <laughs> if it comes down to anything else, like I think I'll, I think I'll outlive you. Oh my gosh. So. <laughs> you can out, you can outrun me. I but thought if it comes, you were yeah. complimenting me and then yeah. that's not a compliment. <laughs> well, um, the running part is for sure. Yeah. Everything else. I'm going to beat you, but in running, you got me. I, I think you're right. Running. I could, well, not right now. Well, pregnant, you would definitely beat me, but let me get back into shape post delivery. And then I'm, I'm zombie ready. But I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how it plays out in the next apocalypse. I mean, I'm I'm like five minutes from the mountains. Like I can get away. You're in the middle of a city. Oh, I if just, we pull in our yeah, where yeah, we're living. I, I mean, I, I've got a little food storage in the basement, so I'd be okay for a couple of months. That's yeah, true. I, okay. I think yeah, zombie apocalypse. I'm just for your sake. I'm hoping it doesn't come down to that because. But yeah, have you watched enough zombie movies? I feel like I've watched more zombie movies than you, so I would know what to do. That's probably true. I mean, I've Shaun of the Dead. I've watched a couple. Yeah, I. We're we're gonna have to revisit this question in a couple okay. of weeks. I'm gonna study. Okay. I'm gonna. I am too. Okay. So if someone asked you to go, oh, someone asked you to go to the website you most frequently visit, would you be happy with your answer or embarrassed by your answer? Uh, I mean. I, I don't really have an embarrassing answer. It's probably Facebook because we spend so much time like in our groups or whatever. So I guess I wouldn't be embarrassed necessarily, but I'm not sure I'm proud of that either. Yeah. I feel like mine is the New York times website, which is like kind of obnoxious and, you know, get out of your own bubble. But like, I, I visit that all the time next to Facebook. Um, so those are probably the two. Every while, like I'll visit the People Magazine site if I just need to like do some brainless searching and um, unwind at the end of the day. I might Nothing just embarrassing about that. I do a little people action. Um, okay, so we we have pretty good solid website <laughs> usage. Okay nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing sketchy. too tawdry. Now that we would share that anyway. Uh, so if you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? Uh, probably murder my neighbor. Oh my God, that's, that's very specific. And I'm not going to go into any more details on that. Oh my um, gosh. Just, yeah, probably, probably that. What, I was not expecting that answer. <laughs> what, uh, um, what, what would you be arrested for? I feel like we need more details on that. Um, cause that was a very quick answer. Uh, I would, it would probably like what I think they would say, they probably wouldn't say, but I think it's cool is if they were like, Oh yeah, Kira got arrested. Cause she was protesting at the Capitol. Like what a cool way to get arrested. Would they actually say that? Probably not. Um, but I would like them to say that because I think that's cool. Probably better than <laughs> murdering my neighbor. Yeah, I think uh, that's, you're, you're probably better off there than me. Um, we'll get into that story at some time. I'm just not sure I want to put the, those yeah. details into the, into the public record. Well, it, this is already public. So if anything happens to your neighbor. Well, like, if she's murdered. Like if she dies of natural consequences. I know, but if your neighbor is murdered, you will be the first target because Maybe. of the show. <laughs> I probably would be anyway. Oh she hates God. me. She hates me. Why does she right. hate you? No, we're not, we're, okay. we're not going to do Okay. That. All right. What is this? I think this is their last question. Last question. Oh, yeah. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by? I want to know what your answer is on this. I, I kind of wanted to come up with this really 
clever answer. And I, I, it's not clever, but I think fast fashion is one thing, like just like, you know, cheap clothes that you buy and you wear once and you throw away. I think that's, that was popular and now it's out and people look down upon that. Um, so I kind of said, I also said social media, like our obsession with social media and our obsession with like showing up and showing this perfect photogenic lifestyle. I feel like that's already fading, but I think people will look back and just be like, what were you all thinking? Like, why were you trying to impress everyone with your photos on Instagram? So I don't know. That's those, that's what came to mind first. So yeah, first thing that came to mind for me was, uh, but this is a bad answer because it's, it's already happened once and people yeah. thought it was awful and they came back and that's mom jeans. Like mom jeans oh. are so popular and my, my daughters love them. I'm just like, ah, they were awful the first time. They're awful oh, this yeah. time. They're yeah. really trendy right now. Yeah, very trendy. So I think five years from now, not so much. And then this thing is absolutely true. Talking about the pandemic. I, yes. I mean, it's so tired of just you know, like, obviously, like we've been through it, but, you know, now there's this thing where everybody's talking about how hard the pandemic was on everybody. And I know it's been hard. I know it's been tragic, but it's almost like everybody has to one up each other on their pandemic story or their COVID story. And I think five years from now, hopefully we are done talking about pandemics hopefully. And, and we can hopefully. let it go. Hopefully <laughs> I hope it's aren't. five months from now, but we'll see. Yeah, but it is an interesting point in our, I mean, as marketers, as copywriters, like to understand that shift and how quickly it happens, where a couple of months ago, we were still in real, I mean, so many people are still in the thick of it. So right. it's, it depends on where you live. But a couple of months ago, it may have been appropriate to write that for your client for in an email, like, hey, you're struggling with this, you're struggling. And then how quickly it can shift, again, depending on who you're speaking to and where they live and the message no longer resonates. And as a marketer, we have to be able to know that, that it's like that they don't want to hear that anymore. They've already moved yeah, on. It They're comes outside. across as pandering now. And, and, and all, yeah, so again, I, I think you're 100% right. And I'll look forward to when that's the reality. Yes. Um, okay, so that was it, unless you want to add any other nope. icebreaker questions. We're, why do I keep saying icebreaker? Lightning round. Very different. Okay. So do we have any call to action or anything? No, just, uh, I guess this is the, the, the way that we usually uh, end our podcast. So um, really, yeah. No. want to uh, thank Kira for being such a good guest today. Thank Rob also, uh, I suppose, you know, our intro music and outro music composed by, well, outro by David Muntner. Uh, and our intro by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. And of course, the things that we've mentioned, we'll link to them in the show notes here. Uh, check out the Think Tank, check out the Copywriter Underground, check out all of the things that we do at the Copywriter Club to help you out. That is the end of this episode. We will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.